scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 18 through 30. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. Yet the human one came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved to be right by her works. Then he began to scold the cities where he had done his greatest miracles because they didn't change their hearts and lives. How terrible it will be for you, Chorazin. How terrible it will be for you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles done among you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have changed their hearts and lives and put on funeral clothes and ashes a long time ago. But I say to you that Tyre and Sidon will be better off on Judgment Day than you. And you, Capernaum, will you be honoured by being raised up to heaven? No, you will be thrown down to the place of the dead. After all, if the miracles that were done among you had been done in Sodom, it would still be here today. But I say to you that it will be better for the land of Sodom on the Judgment Day than it will be for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have shown them to babies. Indeed, Father, this brings you happiness. My Father has handed all things over to me. No one knows the Son except the Father, and nobody knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wants to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Put on my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble, and you will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Let us pray. God, we thank you for the gift of this time to be present here for what it is that you might do within us and among us. We ask then that you would help us to really be here in this space, clearing away the clutter in our hearts and our minds, at least just for a moment so that we can be still and anchored in where it is that you are, who it is that you are calling us to be, open our imaginations for what it is that you would do among us, with us, and through us. And speak through me, because of me and in spite of me, so that whatever it is that you have to say today would be heard in the ways that it needs to be heard. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. In our passage for today, we find Jesus exasperated at the conclusion of a broad-scale effort in ministry. He'd given his disciples authority over unclean spirits to throw them out and to heal every disease and every sickness throughout the community. 
But before he pushes them out the door, he gives them what could be considered the least peppiest peck talk of all time. Look, he says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Watch out for people because they will hand you over to councils and they will beat you in their synagogues. They will haul you in front of governors and even kings because of me. Everyone will hate you on account of my name. At which point the disciples are looking at their receipts to see if their tickets aren't refundable, which they're not. But it's all good, Jesus assures them. Don't worry about how you'll speak or what you'll say because it'll be given to you at that moment. Whoever stands firm until the end will be saved. Don't be afraid of those people because nothing is hidden that won't be revealed. And there's nothing secret that won't be brought out into the open. Don't be afraid of those who will kill the body but can't kill the soul. Okay, go get them. Go team on the count of three. (laughs) And they're like, hold up, kill the body? What? But so they they go out and to their credit, they've been doing really good work healing folks and restoring them to their minds and their spirits. It's been kind of cool. And Jesus comes in after, after them, city by city, to teach and share about God's vision of wholeness of life for all. They should all be feeling kind of fired up at this point. But then Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, who's been sitting in prison, hears about what he's been doing and sends his crew out to see what's up. John wants to know if you're the one we've been waiting for, they say. And Jesus looks at them and gives them bars from the prophet Isaiah. Tell John, those who were deaf now here. Those who were dead are raised up. The poor have good news proclaimed to them. In other words, I'm the one. And he watches, as he watches them walk away, Jesus looks around and is suddenly struck. Everyone is going about their business like it's just any other Sunday. Haggling in the marketplace, wrangling kids and cattle, putting the final touches on their Monday presentations. And meanwhile, his brother in the movement John is in jail for being too loud, too honest, and too insistent about the ways in which the church was harming folks. And Jesus can see it coming. He knows that John gave all he had, and he knows that it's going to cost him everything. The pretend king, Herod, is on his way to finding cause for John to never see the light of day again. Jesus sees this, he knows this, and maybe he even feels a premonition for what might be coming his way. After being on the road without a break, after all the work that he and the disciples have been doing, Jesus is suddenly feeling exhausted and maybe even discouraged. He's also frustrated and angry. They've been going hard and everything feels urgent, but the needle doesn't seem to have moved an inch. And so he turns to the crowd and asks, what do you want? What are you looking for? John took the rules and requirements of our faith so seriously you thought he was a freak. I come out here like a regular dude hanging out with regular people, and you question my integrity. You're like children who can't make up your minds. He goes on to call out the cities where he did his greatest works. Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. Y'all are worse than Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom combined. Come on. What's going on? What's going on is that the people have grown cynical. Maybe because that is what the world required of them, or maybe because they had lost trust in all of their leaders, especially their religious leaders. Regardless, they came to John and Jesus suspicious and assuming the worst, leaning back, crossing their arms, and bringing all of their resentment and distrust they had developed over the years to all of Jesus and John's most faithful efforts. They were closed off, looking for a catch, instead of watching openly and expectantly for what God might be unfolding in their midst. They won't be suckers a second time around. 
And Jesus calls them out for their cynicism. He illuminates their ungenerous spirits and entitled sensibilities. You've just had the best spiritual leadership that anyone could hope to have, and it wasn't enough. And you think he's done with them. But then he turns to prayer. And one might wonder if he's being passive-aggressive or not. But given that he's Jesus, let's assume not. God, he prays, you have deemed it right that the truth of who you are would be heard by those who aren't necessarily the most educated or esteemed, those who are too smart, too good, or too suspicious to trust anyone. But even this prayer, spoken from a place of exasperation, reminds him and grounds him. Because after all of the frustration and disappointment, what's left is a deep well of compassion. They are wounded and full of pain. Their trust has been abused and they have been spiritually abandoned. They are pressed on all sides, filled with anxiety in a rapidly unstable world. And and the one place where they want to feel cared for and be spiritually guided has been mismanaged for so long, they aren't even sure why they're still showing up. And so his heart melts and his tone grows soft. They don't need another person to tell them about all the ways they are getting it wrong. What they need is someone to tell them that it's okay if they don't get it right. It's okay if they don't get it right. One exercise that I enjoy doing from time to time among colleagues and staff, although I haven't had a chance to do it yet with the staff here at City Church, forewarned, is what I like to call a celebration of failure. In a culture and economy that ties our worth to our successes, it's easy to fall into the mindset that our failures are something that we should cover up at all costs. And I totally get it. I hate failing, which is why it's so important to celebrate the failures, to say out loud the ways in which we did not achieve what we are aiming for. Because celebrating our failures, naming what went wrong in the context of community, not only reminds us that we can belong and be loved regardless of our performance, it also gives us an opportunity to learn. Like sometimes that learning can help someone else. Like when many years ago a congregant wanted to bake gluten-free bread for communion, and when it was dipped in the communion cup, it melted and fell apart. (laughs) I learned to be leery of gluten-free bread for communion. (laughs) There are other options. Other times, though, the learning is really just for ourselves. But even then, sometimes especially then, it can be incredibly valuable to celebrate those failures, too, and learnings with others. Now, as many of you know, I'm kind of new on the job here, so there are plenty of opportunities for me to celebrate, like when I accidentally parked in a zip car spot in the garage, or when I accidentally cheered for the Colorado Rockies at the Giants game this past Thursday. (laughs) One of our youth graciously tapped me on the shoulder and said, you're cheering for the wrong team. But of course, some celebrations are a little more complicated. You may have noticed that over the past few weeks, we've been trying out a different version of what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. Now, for some folks, it has been an interesting exercise to explore different language around a well-known prayer. For others, it has raised concerns about the theological underpinnings of the word choices being made. And for others still, there were questions about whether I might be asserting myself as more authoritative than the many church leaders, theologians, priests, and pastors who have found this prayer to be perfectly good throughout the history of the church. Now, on the one hand, I assumed that this version of the prayer would raise questions and wonderings. What is kingdom? Is that even a word? Why use father-mother? That seems an unnecessary and at best unpoetic choice. All good 
and worthwhile questions for discussion, much of which I've unpacked with Pastor Jay uh, in a video that will be out in our this week email, which will go out tomorrow. Yet another reason to fill out your Connect card and join our mailing list. But so let's talk about it. In some ways, this word kingdom is made up. It's as made up a word as Googling and surely is legitimate. But in other ways, it's an important word for broadening our theological imaginations. It gives us language to describe another way, another way of understanding God's dynamic power at work among us outside of an historically baggaged term like kingdom. Sometimes new words, even if they're made up, can enable us to capture and communicate new ideas. Mary Poppins and her friend Bert knew something about that. When Jesus used the term kingdom in his time, he was actually doing something that was profoundly and politically radical. In the face of a brutal empire that had unquestionably maintained dominance, Jesus was asserting that there was another way and another kingdom that was more legitimate than the one they labored under. And in this, he is teaching the disciples to invoke and proclaim God's reign on earth instead of the martial, stratified, and repressive reign of Caesar. It is a word usage that would have immediately caught the ears of those who heard. How dare he? Likewise, kingdom was introduced by Ada Maria Isasi Diaz, a Cuban-American theologian and a professor of ethics and theology at Drew University. As an innovator of Hispanic theology and Mujerista theology, she was trying to introduce something different, distinctly different from our common notions of kingdom. It points to the idea of hierarchy that's ordered in a different way, shifting our frameworks of association from power over to power with. A power that is made possible not through might or oppression, but through relationships. The kingdom is rooted in the kinship of God's people, people who care for one another through mutual sacrifice, are obligated toward one another's well-being. But this is not an either-or situation, right? Kingdom and kingdom invite us to see dimensions of God's reality, presence, and power at work among us. In this, I'm reminded of St. Patrick who once observed, Christ with me, Christ before me and behind me, Christ in me, beneath me, and above me. But okay. Why then would you begin the prayer as father-mother? Clearly God the Father is the front-runner in Scripture. We heard it several times even in our passage today, right? No arguments from me. And yet when we say father, and only father, how might our theological imaginations be hamstrung by our interpretations, experiences, and images of father? Now, if you were fortunate to have a very affectionate and caring father like I had, no harm, no foul. But if father was absent, indifferent, or worse yet, a source of fear, that is nothing like the one who Jesus intimately called Abba. And beyond this, why limit our notions to God, of God to human roles, right? One of my favorite translations of the Lord's Prayer comes from the New Zealand Anglican Prayer Book, which was uh, translated from the Maori language, and it begins this way. Eternal spirit, earth maker, pain bearer, life giver. I love it. In part because it captures not only embodiment, but a certain measure of solidarity, of bearing with one another. 
Now, some may disagree with me, thinking that I'm doing something dangerous even by inviting diverse ways to understand the same prayer. And I can certainly understand that, even as I respectfully disagree. I became a Christian in a tradition that embedded teachings of the faith with a certain level of paranoia. And if you come from similar kinds of traditions, let me assure you, let me assure you, God is not so fragile. Regardless, I hope that even if you disagree, which is perfectly fine, this helps you hopefully understand a bit better where I'm coming from and what I'm doing. I'm not the kind of pastor that demands agreement. And don't worry, we won't be praying this prayer forever and ever, amen. It's just a way to invite you into exercising your theological imaginations and hopefully begin to find your own theological voice, to trust your own experiences of God. After all, anyone who wonders about God is a theologian. We are all, we ought to all be theologians. And so my celebration from this failure, as it were, is not just that folks are thinking seriously about their faith, but they care very deeply about what they're being taught. That is a celebration. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to learn this. But beyond even these learnings, beneath it all, there was something else that surfaced in the questions that I encountered and the conversations I'd been having. While it's clear that there were strong feelings and opinions about trying a different version of the prayer, what I discovered amidst various conversations was something else entirely. What I often like to call the thing beneath the thing. It's something much more painful, something that, to be honest, has welled up within me a sense of great grief. This community has been through a lot. Many of the folks who have been around for a while or are returning after a while carry within them a great deal of unresolved anger, frustration, and distrust about things that have happened, decisions that have been made, and behavior that has been displayed. Over time, the values of scarcity, secrecy, either-or thinking, and individualism have not only exacerbated these events and decisions, but deepened a sense of distrust frustration and grief that many folks have carried over the years. If you're new here, just listen. <laughs> While there are plenty of people who have expressed hope and anticipation about my arrival, I know that there are lots of folks waiting on the wings to see how this is going to play out. I understand that the hope and anticipation held was paired with a bit of breath holding and wondering whether and when the other shoe was going to drop. Well. Maybe this whole Lord's Prayer thing is the other shoe, right? And on one hand, I'm being a little bit silly, right? But on the other, I'm being totally serious. I'm sorry to say and let you know right now that there will probably many more shoes that will be dropped. Not because I'm duplicitous, malicious, or have a hidden agenda. I know I'm a bit irreverent. I know that I lead in a way that is very different than those who have come before me at City Church. I know that I'm stepping into a space where folks are really tender, whether it's because of their experiences at this church or somewhere else altogether. I've had conversations with folks who are finding a refuge here. And so let me assure you ahead of time, there will be more shoes, no surprises. There will be more shoes because I'm human, but along with those shoes hopefully will come some dancing, right? And some learning about new ways to walk for all of us, and maybe even some long evenings walking barefoot on the beach. Too much, I know. But I promise, I promise you, 
that I will respect you, that I won't take you for granted, and that I will do my best to practice the anti-racist values of transparent communication, an abundant worldview, cooperation and collaboration, and both and thinking. I accepted this call to be your senior pastor with enthusiasm. You can ask Alex, it was in an email. But I want you to know that it wasn't for status, money, or geography. I came because as I've said many times before, I heard the spirit calling me here. The same spirit who told me to stay when my church planning partner 10 years ago resigned three weeks before we launched Sunday services. She told me to stay. That same spirit told me to go 10 years later. So I went. And here I am. I've been through some stuff. And so have you. Which on the one hand could mean that we are tired and weary. But on the other hand means that we know how strong we are and how capable we are of making our way through. And so while some of us might be inclined to defend, while others of us might be perpetually on guard, all of us are at risk of missing out on the thing beneath the thing, beneath, the, beneath Jesus' thing, if we focus too much on self-protection. The teachings and healings were important for casting out God's vision and empowering folks to do more than just make it through another day. For Jesus, though, the thing beneath the thing, well, that's this. Come to me, all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads. I will give you rest. Put on my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble. And you will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. Ask me questions. Wonder aloud with me, hold me accountable. I will invite you into questions and wonderings too, and I will challenge you and hold you accountable to your faith. But above all, above all, let us let go of our cynicism when we walk into this store, into this space. Let us take on the yoke of the one who invites us to lay down our burdens. Let us find rest and ease together in a weary and cynical world. Let us celebrate our failures and our successes together, trusting and knowing that we can belong and be loved, not for anything we've done, but because of who God is. Let us pray. God, thank you for the opportunity to rest in you. Help us to develop a trust for one another and with one another so that as we gather together in this space or the spaces that we gather as your people, that we might be able to take on your yoke and be easy and light, at least in one space in life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.